You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. And today we're, we're going to be going through Daniel chapter 6. Uh, we've gone through Daniel, Daniel chapters 1 through 5, and we've reviewed an amazing life of a man that loved his Lord, that loved his God, and we see how God was sovereign over him and over the kingdom and over the kings that desired to do their own wills. We have a man that, was, that came from exile, walking through, believe me, hell, the Babylonian uh, takeover of Jerusalem, to see that as he was walking out of it being taken over to Babylon. It must have been horrible. Taken as a slave. From slave, he was added to a group of young men that would be uh, bred and raised for the king's court. And in this situation, he did not bow to the desires of the king, to the desires of those around him, but stayed faithful to his God. And because he stayed faithful to his God, God worked a miracle in his life. And he elevated them above all the other children, all the other men. And they became greatest of the wise men. It says 10 times wiser and more intelligent than the rest. After being a, a wise man, he moves on to, uh, to becoming something even greater. They put him in charge of the province of Babylon. Once again, in a situation that seemed hopeless, where he was to uh, uh, give a revelation of the king's dream that he had not even given, that he forgot, that he needed someone to reveal to him. He was going to kill all of the wise men, but God, he turned to prayer with his, with his uh, brothers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and through that situation, revealed the truth, revealed the meaning, and he was raised to the provincial ruler, a satrap of Babylon greatest city in the Babylonian Empire. And after that, uh, as we read last week, another situation. Um, it seemed that he was forgotten. This, uh, this godly man, we don't hear much of him in chapter 5 until all of a sudden there's an issue. And, he has to, and the king has to be reminded that, hey, there is a wise, godly man in this kingdom that can reveal this to you. His name is Daniel. And he's brought forth and he reveals a horrible revelation. A revelation that he will lose everything he holds. He will lose his life. He will lose this kingdom. And it will be overtaken. And that very night, King Belshazzar dies. And Darius the Mede is placed as king. But before he dies, he places Daniel as third in the kingdom. So from slave, taken from Jerusalem, he becomes third in the kingdom of God. Or in the kingdom of Babylon. <laughs> not, not the kingdom of God. He was high up there too, but you know. Uh, <clears throat> so we, we're, we're starting off with the situation where Darius has now taken over. And I want to start by, uh, by going through the first, six or, uh, first five verses of Daniel. And then we'll, we'll get into it and we'll, we'll pro progress that way through portions of it. <clears throat> so if we, could, uh, if we could open our Bibles up to Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Verse 1 to 5. Now, Darius is in charge, so it starts with him. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom to be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners of whom Daniel was one, so that these satraps would be accountable to them and that the king would not suffer loss. 
Then does Daniel begin distinguishing himself among the commissioners and the satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king intended to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel regarding government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption because he was trustworthy, he was not negligent, uh, there was no corruption in him, and there was nothing uh, or no negligence or corruption to be found. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him regarding the law of his God. Now, before, uh, before I, 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 I start uh, with, with Darius, which is going to be our first main focus, uh, I want you guys to keep your eyes open because this chapter of Daniel is not merely a story of some godly man uh, in the 6th century that uh, became great by following God. It is, it is a type of Christ. So as you were reading through this, I want you to look at Daniel through, the, uh, through, through Christ and imagine and see the similarities because it's undoubtedly a, a typology of Christ. So let's start. Um, it, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 state traps. Now Darius, it says in the last verse, in the verse of, of chapter 5, it says he received the kingdom. So this Darius um, was probably a very smart man, was probably uh, fairly wise, uh, probably a good strategist, um, probably made it by his own merit, I would figure, um, because we don't really have any other historical account of, of a lineage where Darius came through, or we have the biblical account of Darius the Mede. And uh, it says that he received this kingdom. So now that he has received this kingdom, and me figuring that he is wise, we'll actually see that he is quite wise as we go through these verses. He, uh, he decides to restructure the whole government. Why would he restructure the whole government of Babylon in, uh, in the early days? Well, if you can imagine, he came in after King Belshazzar. Do you guys remember King Belshazzar and who he was as a king? Um, pretty much a hedonist, focused on his own pleasure, his desires. Uh, he was living a debased life, of, of, of perversion, lasciviousness, every evil thing you can imagine, to the point that he uh, took the holy things of God and used them in his perversion. And at that very moment, while he was doing this large celebration, you have the other empire, the Medo-Persian empire, that broke through his walls and were going to kill him that very night. This is the status and the, the, the amount of feeling that Belshazzar had over the kingdom of Babylon. He was completely detached, focused simply on himself. If you can imagine that as the king, culture is downstream of the king. And let me tell you, those satraps were no better. And the, the provincial leaders and governors under him that were also partying with him that night. And then you have all the people. So this was a mess. This kingdom was a mess when Darius the Mede was put in place. So he decided, hey, 120 satraps, I'm going to divide it. Why? Uh, so they can be in charge of the whole kingdom. And I will put two over that, or I'll put three over them, three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one. Why? So that these satraps would have someone to be accountable to, something that satraps before didn't really understand, I think. And the king would not suffer loss. The whole intention of this was that, so that he wouldn't suffer loss, right? He was establishing a sort of corporate structure, to Babylon. 
He was trying to set up a meritocratic system. He wanted it to thrive, right? This seems like what he's doing. He's not looking to just please himself, but rather he wants to to make sure he has good control of the kingdom. Now, what were these satraps' responsibilities, and why would they need to be accountable to three commissioners? Well, the satraps or provincial rulers, which there would have been many provinces of that time. Some say that King Cyrus uh, separated into 127 provinces. So King Darius says 120 satraps could have been 120 provinces. Now, every satrap, every provincial ruler, every governor, uh, viceroy, whatever you want to call them, um, they were responsible for bringing tribute. That is to gather money from the people and then funnel it up to the commissioners who then funnel it up to the king for the purposes of the country, right? Not only are they to to get tribute, they are to establish peace and they are uh, to help gather men for the army. Uh, There are probably other things that they were doing as well. But one thing for sure that they uh, were very good at was getting tribute. That was a thing that almost every provincial leader was good at. Now, if the king, I don't know if the king was aware of that because uh, many times they were corrupt. And this is why they needed accountability. Now, we see that this Daniel began distinguishing himself amongst the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king intended to appoint him over the entire kingdom. So this Daniel, amongst the three that were in charge, began distinguishing himself. So he was noticed something was different about this man. And the king noticed it so much that he wanted to give the entire kingdom to him to manage, and he would be the only one above him. So as far as, as, far as a king, this is not tyrant Nebuchadnezzar. This is not the same type of king. This is one that wants those that merit to be in their position to be there and those that don't to not be there. It seems that way, right? So somewhat wise, at least in in the eyes of man. Now, the reason he was being distinguished, it says it's, it's, it's an extraordinary spirit. Now, this has been repeated over and over throughout Daniel, that he has the spirit of the gods within him. What does this mean? It means that he reveals the unknown. He brings light to darkness, He is the only one that has answers when there is no answer. This is Daniel, okay? Now, Daniel, having this spirit, while it is the spirit of the gods, there are no other gods. There is one God, and that is Yahweh, and he sent his spirit into Daniel. So the spirit of Yahweh is in in Daniel. And this spirit, if you understand the attributes of God, you understand that this spirit is perfectly just, perfectly true perfectly loving, perfectly merciful. All the things that would make an amazing manager. He was understanding, but held you up to to a standard. He wanted you to be truthful and honest. And what did that result in? That resulted in probably the largest tributes that the king Darius would have seen from any of his other rulers. He would have seen blessings coming in way more, right? It says if, if, it was, if it was similar to anything like the chapter one, it was probably 10 times more maybe even of, of what the others were giving. Um, this would have made the other commissioners pretty envious, um, which is normal. It's normal. Uh, now, there's something you can do when you notice that someone is doing something right. You can go to them and ask them what they're doing and then copy it, right? That is the humble approach. Uh, But that is not the situation that we have that's going on here. The rest of these people, they gather together 
And they say, hey, we can't find anything in this guy. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing evil, right? Why is Daniel's honesty and righteousness such a problem for them? Well, I would say that the reason for this is because this world, the landscape of this world is scratchy. Now, what do I mean by that scratchy? I mean that in politics, in power, even in regular life, the idea is this, right? You scratch my back, I scratch yours, right? And this was the environment that Daniel found himself in. Well, the reason we are scratchy is because of a little problem that we all have. And it's something that we all can relate to. And that problem is sin. And that sin is horribly itchy. Okay? It causes us to want to scratch it. And then when someone's not scratching it or when you're not allowed to scratch it, it's a problem. I don't know, if you, I don't know how many of you have had chicken pox, but when your mom tells you don't scratch, the most annoying thing ever. All you want to do is scratch. That's all that's on your mind. You want to fulfill that need. And that is what sin is in us. Right? Without the work of Christ in our lives, we are those itchy people. And uh, there's nothing that can stop that. The, the only way you can do that is hide from your mom and then try, try to scratch yourself. Uh, but then you still get beaten. It ne- never works good. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, sin is very itchy. Now, the reason this is an, itch, an issue is because amongst a world of back scratchers, Daniel has no itch. What does that mean? That means that he cannot be compromised. That means that he is not doing what they are doing. Therefore, he has all the dirt on them and they have none of the dirt on him. Right? They want to be able to control one another. This scratching my back, scratch yours, it causes everyone to to bow to the other because they know, hey, if I talk about him, he'll talk about me. This is a problem, right? And it corrupts the very nature of the system that's in place. So Daniel was not that type of man. Inevitably, because of, of, of the spirit that was in him, he was bringing them to look horrible before the king, right? Um, so what do they do? They say, hey, we will have to do something else. We will find it against him regarding the law of his God. Now, interesting, if he's, if he's not negligent in, in the way he lives his life towards the king, why would he be negligent in the way he lives his life towards his God. Well, it means specifically something. But let, let's keep going. We're going we're gonna to um, read through verses 6 to 9. And we'll, we'll reveal what is going on there. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who offers a prayer to any god or person besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it will not be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Thereupon, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. So what's going on here? Um, It's not that they're trying to find negligence in his following of the law or in his relationship with God. It's that they are trying to cancel David, if, if you can understand that idea, right? So the thing that at one point was acceptable and good, they will change to be bad, right? And that is what the New Testament says as well, right? They will make evil good, right? 
and what, what is wrong, they'll make right. This is what they're doing. There's no other way to get this man except by that. Um, and these commissioners, like everything else uh, that starts, that is evil, it starts with flattery, with sin, with lies. And we see this start off right away. So what's the first lie that they say? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a compliment. It's, a, it's, a, it's flattery. It says, King Darius live forever. This would have been the usual way everyone talked to King Darius. It's sort of, hey, we love you. Um, most, all these guys, believe me, they didn't mean it. Um, because really what they were saying is, hey, we love you as long as we continue to benefit and be able to fill our desires, right? Uh, this wasn't a sincere uh, form of a compliment. This was flattery. And flattery is always to fulfill our own desires, not the one that we are flattering. Uh, so, and then they go on into another lie. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who offers a prayer to any god or person besides you, a king, for 30 days shall be thrown into a lion's den. So the, the, the biggest lie there is all the commissioners. Well, let me tell you, it wasn't all the, com- it wasn't all the commissioners there. It was probably two, the other two outside of Daniel. So, hey, they start with saying, hey, all the commissioners have agreed. All the satraps have agreed. Really, one-third probably weren't there either because the one-third that were under Daniel most likely, most likely were blessed by the fact that they were living in accordance to, to, to the way Daniel was running things. So these men, they lie to him and say, we've all agreed that you need to establish this situation. Now, this is, this is reminiscent of King Nebuchadnezzar. You have King Nebuchadnezzar who says, he creates this image, and he says, hey, everyone, when you hear the music, bow down, worship it. If you don't, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace, right? But it's not exactly. And Darius, because he was a wise man, and we see he was fairly wise in the way that he was uh, establishing the kingdom, uh, he, he wouldn't have fallen for something like that or something similar to that. And we see here actually further in in the passage that the laws of the Medes and the Persians, the Medo-Persian law, it is not to be revoked once it is placed. So what kind? their culture, the Medo-Persian culture, means they would have had a high view of the law. They would have had a high view of the law. This isn't the type of kingdom that you see um, where the king is above the law and he can write something and then take it back, write it again, take it back, keep switching things up, whatever fits his feeling that day. This is not that situation. And what would have been the purpose of this? If you want a kingdom to run smoothly, you want to make a king become moderate, right? Because kings naturally are intemperate. They do what they want, when they want, they have all the power. But hey, when you're tied down by the very laws that you put in place, it means you think before you write. You think before you do. You don't write these sweeping uh, eternal laws that last forever. Otherwise, you'll be held in account to them. So what do they come with? Uh, they come to Daniel with a, uh, a law that is not compulsory, a law that restrains. It's a law that restrains instead. Hey, we're not forcing anyone to pray to anyone. We just think we love you, O king. We think we should uh, not pray to anyone else. And if we are to pray, we should only pray to you. And, uh, if, and guess what? It's only for 30 days, short period of time. So uh, it's, not, it's not anything that would be an issue, right? 30 days, people can stop praying to their gods for 30 days. What's the big deal? But then it gets weird. And everyone who doesn't throws in the lines then. Like, whoa, why did it get so serious all of a sudden? It's just a 30-day thing. Don't pray to any other gods. Pray. Interesting. But the, the crazy thing is that this king that seems fairly wise to begin with 
uh, signs it instantly, signs its injunction instantly. Now, what's the issue here? The issue here is that there are some itches, some sins in our life that we don't even realize are there until they get scratched. And Darius is falling prey to this very issue. So when they come, he has been fairly moderate and not allowing his ego to sort of control things. Seems to want right, the good of the kingdom as a whole. But now, once they've scratched that ego, and they said, hey, we love you so much, and he's thinking to myself, if he knows any Babylonian history, man, Nebuchadnezzar had to force them to do it. My people are coming to me. They love me so much, and they want to serve me as a god. Well, this is awesome. Yeah, I'll sign it. There you go. So that ego, right, once it's itched, you realize you have that itch, and it feels good, and you want it to be scratched right? I come home from work after a late night, and uh, I, I'll eat my food. I'm sitting there eating, and my wife will just walk by and scratch my back. And man, I don't know what happens. It is the best feeling in the world. I didn't even know I had this itch. Now I don't want her to stop. Just keep scratching. I don't know if you've ever had a good back scratch. It feels amazing, right? And you didn't even know you had the itch. It's pretty crazy. It's really crazy. This is what's going on with Darius. And that type of sin, that type of itch will blind you what do I mean by that? The sin itself, this itch, it makes us trade the enduring good for the ephemeral pleasure. So the, the sins that we fall prey to many times in our lives, even though we know there is something better than that sin, we still accept the ephemeral pleasure because it blinds us. And this is what's going on here. The man that was just about to make Daniel, the ruler of his kingdom, just underneath him, is now putting an injunction in place to kill the very good that would have come about from that. The one that he is probably most intimate because, because he would not have put Daniel in that position unless he thought he knew him very well. So he would have known this Daniel loves his God. He would have known how he prays to his God. He, would have, he probably would have heard the miracles that his God has worked, right? If, if Daniel was uh, uh, intimate with the king, they would have had a very close relationship, transparent relationship. The problem with this is one scratch is never enough. One scratch is never enough. And uh, this is what we see happening here is that uh, the scratch, if that simple scratch of saying, hey, we want to worship you as God was enough, it would have been, that's, that's, oh, that's so flattering. Thank you guys. Uh, but I'm not God. You know what? I think that's, that's, that's a little crazy. You're going too far. We're not going to kill our people because they worship the gods. As long as they're loyal to the kingdom, that's okay. You know, he could have done that. But one scratch is never enough. They've actually asked people that have eczema, which is, uh, which is just a, a dry skin condition. It's chronic condition. They've asked other people that have chronic skin conditions. They'll say, hey, um, how long do you scratch? Uh, we figure because you have the itch, you'd scratch until the itch subsides. Is that true? And they said, no. Uh, we scratch until the scratching is no longer pleasurable. And this is what happens with us, Right? We scratch, and then we, don't, we no longer scratch just because it itches. We've learned to like the pleasure that we get from that scratch. And then it becomes a usual thing. It, it doesn't, it, we don't need any more push to do it. We just want to do it because it feels good. And uh, this is what's going on here with Daniel. Oh, not with Daniel, with, with King Darius. <clears throat> now, let's, let's go ahead and move forward to the next few verses here. And we see... A, 
a picture of what Daniel does in this situation. Now when Daniel learned, this is verse 10, now when Daniel learned that the document was signed, he entered his house and in his roof chambers he had windows open towards Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and offering praise before his God, just as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel offering a prayer and employing favor before his God. Then they approached and they spoke to the king about the king's injunction. Didn't you sign an injunction that any person who offers prayer to any god or person besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be thrown in the lion's den? The king replied, Statement is true, according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they responded and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps offering his prayer three times a day. So I want you to imagine Daniel, a man of God, a man that is righteous, that there is no sin in him. Um, if, you can, if you can imagine, there was another that was similar to this man, uh, <laughs> the no, no sin in him, right? It was Jesus Christ. Right? We see that in light of certain death, imagine you're walking back home from work and your plan is to go home and to do what you always do, which is to pray and to worship your God. And let's say you like to do it in your backyard, your home. And all of a sudden you hear yelled out from every corner because it has gone throughout the kingdom, hey, you are not allowed to pray to any other God or person. You cannot petition only the king. And if you do, you'll get torn apart by lions. Most of us would not have the response that we see Daniel having here. We would have the response of, okay, God, I'm going to take my worship session inside. And it's okay, done in secret. I still love you, right? There's no harm, no foul. I keep my life. Therefore, you, you know, maybe this is the way you intended to protect me, by just <laughs> letting me hide a little bit, you know, and I have more time with you in secret. Yeah, well, you justify. We justify. That's how we do. We justify our compromises in our relationship with God. But Daniel did no such thing. Daniel went back up into his upper roof chambers, as was his common practice, and the, the windows were wide open, and he praises and thanks his Lord. What a beautiful thing. This was an old man, a man that had gone through crazy things, that had, re that had gone through death before, possible death before. He had seen these things happen before. And he realized, no matter what happens, I have a sovereign God. I have a sovereign king. And he's in control. I'm not worried. So he opens, he, he opens his windows and prays, just as he had been doing previously. And three times a day, he was praying. Now, I don't know if, you, if, if uh, this brings back any, any memories. Remember, look through the lens of Christ. Also, Christ, when presented with the reality of certain death, he knew Judas was coming to bring him to be judged uh, by, by, the, uh, by, by the Pharisees and then to be put to hang on a cross and beaten. In that situation, he goes to the garden and he prays. How many times does he pray? Three times, it says. He prays three times. So another picture of, of Christ coming out here. But this was his common thing. Daniel was doing this not because his natural instinct was, hey, I'm going to come bow before the Father. Because our natural instinct isn't that either. Our natural instinct is to use our critical thinking. How do we get out of this one? How do we get out of this one? Right? 
But there was a Greek philosopher, a Greek poet, and he writes this. He says, we don't rise to the level of our expectation. We fall to the level of our training. So similarly, Daniel, through his life, was always training and preparing. And when the situation came, he lived up to it. He did the exact same thing he had always done. Nothing was going to sway him. The love of his God would not be sent away for the sake of, you know, some kind of rule that man has made. The interesting thing as well is if you think about this in, in our relationship with our wives or our husbands, it's, it's pretty insane if we, were to, if we were to fall prey to this kind of thing. Um, imagine all of a sudden, or imagine how God would feel if Daniel was to decide what we, were, what we would possibly decide to justify ourselves. How, how can we get away from this? All of a sudden you get home and now your wife is wearing a hijab, a, hi, a niqab, which is like the covering on the faces. She, she's wearing a veil. Now she veils her relationship with you. She only whispers to you. And whenever someone comes to the door, she sends you to the basement. She's like, go to the basement. Horrible. What a horrible type of life you'd be living. I mean, as, as a husband or as if you were the wife. I mean, this is a horrible reality. Um, Daniel wasn't going to do that to his God. He loved him. So he, was, he loved his relationship with him, and he wasn't going to hide it for anyone. Now, the interesting thing is how they, uh, they, come, to, they come to the king. They come to him as if they don't know what's going on, uh, or if, as if this is a surprise. He approached and spoke to the king, Hey, did you not sign an injunction that any person besides you, king, if we worship, you, you got to throw him in the lion's den? And look how the king answers, with certainty. Why? Because he had learned to love being scratched. This, he's no longer, he no longer has the itch. This is, I, I, would, I would figure this is a few days now because if they wanted to ple, plead some kind of, you know, hey, I didn't, we, this wasn't our plan, they'd probably wait a day or two or three before they go and they bring Daniel, right? So they, uh, they probably waited a little bit and brought it before him and like, hey, we just realized, Sky, you know, Daniel, yeah, he's praying to you. Uh, he's praying to his God. And he, and, uh, but uh, he, they, don't, he, they don't start with saying it was Daniel. They just mention it again for him to sort of put another stamp on it. Yes, according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which may now be revoked. He mentions that again. He stands even stronger. Yeah, no way. This is too good. You guys keep worshiping me. I like this. It's not to be revoked. Um, and then he responded, hey, Daniel's doing it. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be a pretty horrible reality that you see for, for King Darius. Um, but the reason that it's, it's, such a, it's such a crazy thing that's happening here is because uh, they, are, they are trying to trick Darius, uh, who had the most intimate relationship with, with Daniel, to, to kill that very intimate, that intimate relationship, the one that would have brought him ultimate good. And an intimate relationship requires transparency, which we have gone over right, right up there. Um, that if you are to have any kind of intimate relationship with someone, it needs to be transparent. That means just like Daniel kept his windows open, we are to keep our windows open. We are to let those know around us that we serve our God, not to hide it. We don't hide a light under, under anything. We keep it out and, and shining brightly. And this, if, whenever this intimacy is stripped away, um, uh, it's, it, whenever the transparency is stripped away, it will also affect the intimacy and trust in the relationship. And Daniel was not willing to do that. Okay, uh, let's move on. Verse 14. Verse 14 to verse 18. 
And we see what happens once he realizes that Daniel is the one that will be dead because of him. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on rescuing Daniel. And until sunset, he kept exerting himself to save him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is the laws of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Then the king gave the orders, and Daniel was brought in and thrown into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, Your God, whom you continually serve, will himself rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing would be changed regarding Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. So we see Daniel. Uh, Daniel's situation is horrible, and the king, realizing that he's the one that put him there, this is bad. He loves Daniel. To put someone as second in control of your empire, believe me, you love the man. You trust the man. And he's finding out that he will be killing him. So what does he do? Instead of what Daniel does, which is to come to the Lord, he goes to what we do, which is we go to our own intellect and we try to figure out how do we get out of this one, right? Okay, I've scratched this itch too much. Now it's not so comfortable. How do I get out of this one? Um, And he did it until sunset, exerting himself. Let me tell you, he was probably talking to these other commissioners and satraps. Hey, tell me, what kind of law can I do? What can I, how, can, how can we get around this, right? Is there anything? And guess what their response was? And this is when the clear purpose of this law comes to light for, for why they were doing it. Instead of helping him, they say, hey, king, don't you remember? You wrote this law, and yeah, he's got to die. And instantly, his lights probably go off, and he's like, you guys are not on my side. He's like, you guys are not on my side. He's like, I know the benefit of this kingdom is to have Daniel in that position, but you want to kill him. And so he, he tries. I mean, he tries, but it just doesn't work. There's no way out. And let me be perfectly honest, there is a way out. There always is a way out. Uh, the honest truth is that he doesn't want to go that route, uh, but we'll get there. Uh, the situation we see going on here is that once you have a scratch that you've been scratching, it eventually stops feeling good. So a scratch feels good until it doesn't. And when you realize, so like I was saying, when I'd get home and my wife would scratch my back and it'd be awesome, and oh my gosh, eventually it starts becoming painful. Because the very act of scratching is a, pain, is a painful act. It just feels good because you have the itch. And then all of a sudden, when you don't want that scratch to be done anymore, you're like, leave me alone, Right? But this is the issue. This is where Darius is stuck. He's being scratched. The same scratch is going on and he can't get out of it. And this is not comfortable anymore. This is not good anymore. Stop the scratching. I don't want it anymore. I want Daniel. And he can't get out of it. The truth is that he could have gotten out of it. Why do I say that? It's while, yeah, the law may not be revoked. Look what he does. Well, we'll get there. But what he does after is something that he probably could have done before. Uh, if, if, if there is a sin in your life, if there is an itch that you just want to scratch, or maybe you're at the point where the scratch is starting to affect you negatively, where now you are realizing that it is affecting your family, it is affecting everyone around you, and this scratch is no longer pleasant, but it is a curse. You turn around, 
and you become ruthless with that sin. Cut, their, cut its heads off. Okay, you, you end it. Don't be proud and fall into, this is what Satan does to us, right? The same thing we see that these satraps are doing to Daniel. It comes to you and say, it's too late. I've already done it. There's no way out. Truth is, there's always a way out. There's always a way out. Kill the sin that is taking over, and that is by turning to Christ and trusting in him. His blood soothes all that itch and heals all those scars. Amen? So it's not too late to repent. He can still repent. He can figure a way out of this. But I would say the, the, the pride of the sin is also causing him, and, and the satraps are sort of cornering him. He's cornered. And instead of being humble and saying, I'm not God, I'm going to write another injunction. Let's say I kill the lions, I kill you guys. Daniel, Daniel can put, be put in the lions then. There's, no, there's only dead lions. He'll be fine, right? He allows it to go forward, right? To save face, possibly. And what do they do? They put Daniel in this lion's tomb, and he says, your God whom you continually serve will himself rescue you. You feel like, man, this is faith. This guy believes God will save him. Well, what other choice does he have? I don't know if it's faith or it's just a shot in the dark. And he's like, I hope this happens. You've told me these stories. I haven't seen these stories. But if you're saying the truth, it could happen. He could save you. So your God, who you talk about all the time, he'll save you. Uh, okay, Lord, save this guy. I don't know what he would say if he said a prayer. But we see what happens after. This, this sin that he committed and brought to fruition completely, now he goes home and he cannot sleep. He cannot eat. He cannot find joy in anything. It eats at him. And he is having a horrible time. This is what sin also does to us. It breaks us down. It, keeps, it eats at our insides. Once, we're, once we know that the, the sin we're living is causing harm and evil to us, and once we know that there's nothing, we feel like there's no way out, this hopelessness, it eats at us, right? But there, are, there is a hope. And the thing is that even though this would have gone away. If Daniel would have died in that lion's den, this would have gone away. This issue would have gone away. He would have died. The satraps would have kept on going, doing what they were doing, which is corrupt procedure and getting money off the king. But the, uh, the thing is, truth cannot be buried. And Daniel is a picture of that truth. Christ is a picture of that truth. You cannot bury the truth. When you go back, it will be there. If you are in sin, if you are feeling hopeless, if there feels like there's no way out, run to Christ. He is there. And we'll see it in the following verses here. King Darius, the king got up at dawn, the earliest moment he could, do, he could figure out, right when the sun rose. He got up, and at the break of day, he went at a hurry. This would not have been a common thing to see, a, a king running right? He is running. He's, he's in a hurry to get to this place. And when he came near to the den, uh, the den that Daniel was in, he cried out with a troubled voice. And he said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually see serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the lions' mouths. They have not harmed me, since I was found innocent before him, and also towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very glad and gave orders for Daniel to be lifted up out of the den. 
So Daniel was lifted up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. The king then gave orders, and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and they threw them, their children, their wives, into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Whoa. Okay. So the king got up at dawn, the earliest he could do. He was tormented by the sin. And let me tell you, this dawn is both an image of what happens when the disciples are running to come see the risen Christ early in the morning. It is the, it is the same image, and it is the same image for us today. The dawn is every moment you are living. If you are bound in sin, now is your dawn. Now is your dawn. The sun has risen and given light to that sin that is binding you. Run to Christ, like King Darius runs to Daniel. Because he's there, and we see he is living. When he had come near to the den, he cried out with a troubled voice, troubled voice, and the king began to speak to Daniel. Look, and this is where you start to see that faith that we thought maybe he had. I don't know, right? Daniel, right? Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continue to serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? So this Darius was hoping that, man, everything I had put in place, everything I had done, God, please have mercy on me and save this guy because I need him. I need him. And what happens is Daniel responds, O king, live forever. Do you remember the O king, live forever that you heard from the satraps? This is a true O king, live forever. Right? Because Daniel loved the king. He wanted his best. He wanted to serve him with honor. Right? But he had another who he, who he held above that king, and that was his God. So when he says, O king, live forever, he means it. He desires the best for this king. And it probably must have felt so sweet to hear those words. To hear the words of Christ. When you're running from your sin, and he says, I'm here. I'm here. Arms open wide. Whatever you thought you did, however bad you thought the situation was, however far you took that sin to the point that you think that, man, I have put my signet ring on this stone. There's no way. There's no way I'm coming back tomorrow and I can be forgiven. There is no hope for me. This is the end. Believe me, that's not the end. No matter how far, how dark, how, how evil your predicament may be, there is one that is still alive and ready to save you from those sins. And that is Jesus Christ. And he says, My God sent his angels and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me since I was found innocent before him. And also towards you, O king, I have committed no, no crime. And here, just like Christ, when faced with death, when put in a tomb, when every appearance seemed that it was dark, you have that not death itself, nothing could keep him down. Why? Because he was innocent and righteous. He did nothing wrong. And this is a perfect picture of Christ. I have committed no crime. Then the king was very glad. The joy that we all have when we turn to Christ. If you can imagine that joy, that the living God has loved you and given his son for you and that there is hope for you. 
That is, the glad, that is that gladness that we experience. That what is hopeless now has hope, that the darkness now has light. And he, this gladness must have been something to behold from the king. Now this gladness, this love of Christ, it will breed in you something different. It will change you. You will not be the same man or woman. When Christ, when you realize Christ is living and he has saved you from your certain fate, which is death, eternal torment and suffering, you know what happens? Is you begin to hate that which is evil. And a rage grows in you for the sin that is in your own life. And you do exactly what King Darius should have done before. You do what? You take the satraps, the things in your life that are trying to kill you, your flesh, the sin in you that wants to bring you down to the grave and you annihilate it. And every day you do the same. Because in light of Christ, all of that is disgusting, right? It no longer, it, it may still be, you may still struggle, but there is a constant war that you'll be fighting to kill every satrap in your life or commissioner that is seeking to destroy you and do bad for your kingdom, which is now Christ's. And what do we see happen? That when they were put down into the, into the, into the lion's den, we see that before they even reached the bottom, the satraps and their families and children, wow, this, this seems dark. The satraps and the families and their children, their wives, torn apart. Every bone was crushed by these lions. This pride, this envy that led to them trying to kill the thing that is best for that kingdom led them to a place where they were killed by a pride of lions, right? Interesting that they call lions a pride. That's because the pride of man has no chance against them. Um, believe me, you get, you get into a circle of lions, you're not getting out. It's just the way it is. But there is one that no matter, he's called the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the greatest lion. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. And when faced with ultimate darkness, he is victorious. And his death is enough for every single one of us. For every sin you have committed, he is ready to forgive if you would turn to him. So do the same in your life. Be humble. Turn from your sin and run to Christ. And if, if you have come to know Christ, do not be patient with the things in your life that cause sin. Kill them, destroy them, take them out, separate yourself from them. They serve no purpose for you. And everywhere where that sin has gone into, the wives and the children, which sounds horrible, but if you know what I mean, it's everywhere that sin has bred into, make sure you cut that off as well. Because it is, uh, it is ultimately poison for you. And you can tell here that a life lived in righteousness is a blessing to everyone around you. At the other point, a life lived in sin is a curse for all those around you. And those that have been bound by sin, which is all of us at one point, we realize how we hurt ourselves, how we hurt our mothers, our fathers, our children, our wives, how we hurt our friends, 
because sin destroys all. And now we have this amazing moment after, after sin has been conquered, after death has been conquered by Daniel, you have Darius the king who has come to the realization that there is one God. And he says here, Then Darius the king wrote to all peoples, nations, and populations of all languages who were living in all the land, May your peace be great. He wants them to have the same peace he has now. May your peace be great. Good news, he's saying. I issue a decree that in all the realm of my kingdom, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, the enduring, and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He rescues, saves, performs signs and miracles in heaven and on earth. He who also has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. This Daniel... So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. If you have come to know him, proclaim him. Proclaim him to all those that are in you, uh, around you. Let them know that a great peace has come, that there is something greater, and that there is one God and one God alone, and that is the God of Daniel, that is Jesus Christ. That is the only one that can save, that performs miracles. We sing those beautiful songs, miracle worker, promise keeper. He is that God. Christ is that God. And this is who we serve. And this is not only the the same mouth through which evil was going to come unto his people, now is proclaiming the truth. And this is not something that we see for the first time. We actually have King Nebuchadnezzar saying a very similar thing earlier. And very soon, in the next chapter, we will see it proclaimed again, that there is one that will have an everlasting kingdom. Who will, who will, who will, and this one that has the everlasting kingdom will come back one day. And that is Jesus Christ. And this day, we are celebrating communion. And that is who we remember. Our King, the one that rose from the grave, that died on a cross for us. We remember the blood that was spilt that will heal us of everything, every evil sin that we have ever committed. He will heal it. So let us keep our eyes on Christ and let us live like Daniel lived. Let us live a life that is constantly looking towards the Savior and King, Jesus Christ. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.